house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. corporation that owns a day of the week. No proof was presented today because there simply isn't any. They have to listen to us. This is bigger than they are. What do you think they're doing to you now? That's nothing. You have no idea how bad this could get. I have to keep going. They want you to say you made it all up. If they continue to deny my work, men continue to die. Sometimes in life... You're asked to leave it alone. But sometimes you can't. Who are you? Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that Troy Savon blooms for. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my favorite Super Bowl halftime show, Joe Reed. Yes, I am your uh, um, uncomfortably realistically filmed Destiny's Child uh, starring halftime show. I was going to say, you are the Super Bowl halftime show that everybody is wondering if the other members of Destiny's Child will show up. (laughs) Yeah. um, I'm excited, Chris. I'm excited to tell the truth in this Uh, uh, I was going to ask you, uh, we do have something really important to do today. What is that, Joe? To tell the truth. We are here. We are here to tell the truth today. We're yeah. truth telling. We are. We're just truth telling. Is what we're doing. What about that crossover event of the century? Where Where was that when we needed it? <laughs> Meryl I'm sure Streep. some errant homosexual has made that. <laughs> are you kidding up. me? Not a sick. We are the first two homosexuals in history to see the film Concussion. Are you absolutely kidding me? Like there is no possible way that true. that exists. Yeah, but everybody knows the Tell the Truth clip. That's true. That's true. Are we? We. Uh, we know our truth, but not our facts. So we uh, we don't need to see the film to uh, to <laughs> grab some pop culture ephemera from it. That's very true. That's what gay culture is: uh, knowing our truth, but not the facts. But not the facts. Yes, yeah, that is gay culture. <laughs> exactly. No, but uh, just a, a complete stare off between Will Smith and Meryl Streep. Um, yeah. Tell the truth. I'm just truth telling. Tell the truth. It just goes on for like two hours. <laughs> Honestly, listeners, first person to make that for us gets a uh, shout out on the on the podcast. That's yeah, yeah, we would love that. Um, Joe, uh, just before we move on to concussion, quick uh, R.I.P. eulogy to our focus features miniseries that we just ended last week. Five films of fire is what we did for uh, for our beloved focus. We. Uh, I had a very five good time. films of focus. I'm gonna buy you boys some beers. <laughs> <laughs> buy you bunch of boys some beers. Um, that's another crossover event that probably should have happened. It's Claire Foy and uh, and Sarah Jessica Parker. That one far more up the alley of uh, of our people. Yes. Um, 
but we're back to normal. We're back uh, to the it normies. Feels very much like a uh, reset because we kind of uh, backlogged our focus stuff, and now it feels like uh, we're we're back to just full normal episodes and normal conversations. We could not have picked a less focus featuresy movie to return with, too, where it's like the bowels of studio filmmaking like sony pictures which like sometimes doesn't even bother to like put an actual studio imprint on a thing and sometimes you're just a sony i always feel bad for the movies well this one goes into columbia we do have annette benning with a candle that is true but i feel like a lot of these sometimes it's just like oh it's sony pictures i'm like is that even really a thing i like i anytime i see the sony logo i always expect like a five disc cd changer to follow do you know what i mean like that's sort of my mental (laughs) image and what will our children no, say it, when I we try it. to describe like five CD be... changers to them, Chris? What will they? How how will they wrap their minds around the concept that not only of were there CD CDs, CD changers? Yes, like do you remember? Do you remember how fancy the people you knew with a five CD changer were back in the day? Mm-hmm. I was always like, wow, the ease of use, the luxury, the um. Uh, Somet- and sometimes they had a remote control that they could mm-hmm. just like hit a button and you change to the next CD. The absolute height of luxury. No CD changing, just vibes. You could just lay back, <laughs> listen yes. to your five CDs uh, in succession. You could plan the order. If you ejected all of the discs at one time, it was like tiered and it's like, go off queen. Thank you, Sony. I also feel like the people who had the five disc changers were also like the same strata of people that I knew. Like you only knew one person growing up who had a laser disc player. I feel like that was the rule, right? You couldn't really I didn't know, know anyone with a laser disc player. I knew one person with a laser disc player and we never utilized it. It was like their parents or whatever. Like they used it, but like we never made use of it. And my only experience with Laserdisc was an earth science class in high school. Oh. The evil uh teacher that I had who hated me probably because uh I am homosexual. <laughs> um, the enemy of she... earth sciences in every way. Uh, yes, exactly. We You um, are a, not you are a water do... sign and not an earth science. I am a water sign. Are you um, really? I don't know what I the am. water signs are. I'm bad at that part of fake astrology. You know, like, we've all decided <laughs> as gay people that astrology is real. I think I was absent the day that we were told what water signs are and also how to calculate your um your uh, rising sign. I don't know that either. Uh, well, you need your birth date and your uh, birth time and your place. I can make I can I can I feel like we're all like running on lies then because really how many of us truly know what our birth time is like at some point our parents are just like I have my birth certificate do you really yeah I don't have my birth certificate my birth certificate has the time right there my parents have it somewhere in a box and I trust them to hold on to it I've never had my birth I don't trust myself with my birth certificate are you kidding me I you know I was born exchange it for magic beans or something the latest I have ever been awake. (laughs) Um, my mom always is just like yeah sometime in the like one o'clock in the afternoon hour i'm just like okay whatever Mm -hmm. anyway uh 
Anyway, to move us right along from that, I am a Cancer's Sun, Sagittarius Moon, and a Taurus Rising, um, and we are here to talk about concussion. <laughs> but as I was saying, just in terms of like the bowels of studio filmmaking, like this is a movie that's like it's so studio that it was talked about in the Sony hacks. Like I feel like that's yes. that's my measuring stick for okay. if you are a studio film. I didn't even realize it was in the Sony hacks until doing my research for this episode. I just feel like we're constantly still finding out the yes. shit that was in the Sony hacks because it was everything. <laughs> like, it, because it was too much for anybody to read comprehensively. And we only right. wanted like the juicy parts. We only wanted the parts where like people were being a bitch or people were being, you know, uh, mean to people or like Amy Pascal was acting out or whatever. But. I'm sure it touched a lot of. I. I mean, I. There was st- probably stuff about every movie that Sony mm-hmm. had coming out in that era. So, and what it is for concussion is that they softballed with the NFL and diminished it because the NFL is an incredibly powerful, financially solvent uh, organization, and they would have. Buried the movie even more. I mean, like, well, there wa- so I remember the- at the time there was, uh, like, pushback to this movie. And, like, we'll, we'll get into well, how, uh, how, like, strongly worded of an email this movie is or not. So I read the Deadspin article that sort of detailed the ways in which the film had supposedly sort of softened itself. Mm-hmm. And I think substantively i don't think there's much there there actually like with the ways in which they talk about things that were taken out that were in the script that didn't show up in the movie a lot of it is in the movie in another form like i don't feel like i don't feel watching this movie when i watched this movie again yesterday it didn't come across to me as anything that was soft peddling it i think the movie really does make a pretty flat-footed case against the NFL and as you know against the NFL for stonewalling this information and against Roger Goodell I think sports media at the time and continuing now but especially at the time like really wanted a film that was going to like rip Roger Goodell's head off and dance on his grave which like fair but that the movie didn't I think a lot of the stuff that came out of the movie where they would they would mention like you know that there was a paragraph that, uh, or a line of dialogue that said this about the NFL. And it's just like, well, yeah, but that's that, oh, that, um, that the Arliss Howard character in the original script called him, called him a quack. And in the film, he says something else. And it's like, yeah, but then quack is said by the Dave Duerson character in a different scene. Right. Do you know what I mean? I mean it's like that kind of a It's thing. a lot of minutia of yes. dialogue that could have just as easily been cut anyway for like, but I don't think this movie goes clarity. easy on the NFL. I really don't. I think I think it pins it more on Roger Goodell in a way. It is very happy to have like a boogeyman stand in for the NFL without Here's the thing, and I like I kind of like this about the movie, but it's like we're all sitting here like fuck the NFL. We want to like see this movie really take the NFL to task and I think where the real kind of like sometimes it goes there, but it you know, it's not confrontational enough for me, maybe, is that it actually kind of goes for football culture and, like, 
the masculinity ingrained in that in American society and how toxic like just football culture is and not specifically the NFL. Um, and like the thing about the NFL is they have the power to do something about it, right? They have all this money. They could have whatever, but like right. the movie doesn't really go for that point. And I think I but was it does. It has the Albert Brooks. It. I mean, there's the Albert Brooks scene where he's, you know, essentially, and the thing that was the scene that was in all the, the trailers and commercials where it's just like they own a day of the week, a week, a day that used to belong to the church. Like, I feel like the film. I feel like the film does put that across, that the sense of how much power the NFL had and how much it was bringing down to bear on silencing, you know, these findings mm-hmm. by uh, by Dr. Will Smith. But, I mean, I and you and I sort of come at this film, I think, a little differently, or else I feel, probably. I'm probably more... <laughs> uh, not tormented by this, but sort of like there are... I think I'm probably the Gugu Mabatha Raw to your Will Smith, whereas I'm just like... <laughs> whereas I want Scorched Earth. And, and I'm like, just like, but look at the games. They're so, like, they're so, you know, fun to watch and whatever. And you're just like, fuck all of this forever. Make it all go away. I'm and like, who cares? Some of us care. I will say, for as much as, you know... And again, I try and be as clear-eyed about this as possible. And... About, you know, I come down on the side of tell the truth, actually. I feel like that sort of motto with this was just like, let's be as honest as possible about this. Let it, let's, you know, ultimately is professional football too dangerous a game to play? Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, Mm -hmm. maybe. As is, you know, is professional boxing too dangerous a thing to to take part in maybe but also from the other side of it i can't deny the sort of emotional component that comes from it being a part of your culture and family i sound like a gun supporter now but like whatever um it's a thing you grow up with it's a thing that you know binds you to your community and family and and that kind of a thing and it's hard to you want to find a way to keep people safe and as safe as possible right. and to give them the informed choice to if you know if they're going to play this game to play the game with as much you know information as possible that kind of thing and ultimately totally. maybe it is and still like- too complicated and and I I wrestle with that I do well, I don't think that the movie thinks that any of the things that you have said are bad things. Like, I mean, I think that the movie kind of takes those in stride, but what it's really trying to do and, you know, what the, like, tell the truth about it is, is, like, also that it is very, what is the problem and what is, like, uh, at the core, at the root of this, like, awfulness of Mm -hmm. what is happening to all these players is like male indoctrinated brutality like i think of those scenes the best scenes in the movie and like i wish that it hadn't glossed over them a little bit because i'm like i can see the movie that i think is the most effective and it's you see these coaches like yeah uh telling them to their players to like be brutal and be violent towards each other. And it's all rooted in this American culture that expects 
like brutality and aggression and violence out of men. Yeah. And that is indicative of what makes them men. And I think when the movie is like talking about like football culture and what this means to people emotionally is yeah. like, it never quite gets to the point. It just kind of leaves it there for you to pick it up or not that it's also rooted in a lot of heterosexual men's uh, trauma <laughs> that like, yeah, my problem with it, just like leaving it there for you to pick it up if you want to or not. Is that like, I think there's a lot of audiences that are going to like, brush past that and i think that's ultimately the point of the movie yeah but i also feel like those same audiences if the movie's more strident about it they just they tune it out entirely then do you know what i mean i feel like this movie at least does a good job of being as even-handed about the emotionality of what football means to people in the country and doesn't like it does again I feel like that Gugu Mbatha Ra character was there just for me, where it was just like, she's just sort of like articulating things from my end, which is like, I get that I am a very small sliver of the demographic here, where it's just like queer yet football. You know what I mean? What if queer but football? <laughs> and it's just like a photo of me and Gugu Mbatha Ra's character from this movie. And um, not that she's queer, but she's Gugu Mbatha Ra. She's honorary. If and- it means hanging out with Gugu Mbatha Ra, I might watch a football game. Um, right, right, exactly. Um, I don't know. I just feel like it's it's not quite a biopic of Dr. Amalu, but to if it's going to, uh, you know, if it's going to go there and try to have some resonance towards people's uh, emotional ties to American football and still prove his point of all of his scientific research and how dangerous the game is, I don't think it strikes the right balance. I think it's a little bit more towards pacifying those audiences than, you know, getting them to actually challenge their belief system um, than it could be. I think ultimately what you're trying to say in all of this, Chris, is that this was a incredibly intuitive choice for a Christmas Day opening film. Which, exactly. Like, uh, just, it's a no-brainer. You open a film that is challenging, you know, your notions Opposites about... Star Wars. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, it, it blows my mind. And part of it is like, I guess part of it is just, is the Will Smith thing, where it's just like, well, it's Will Smith. People want to go see Will Smith on Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's during football season. Football will be on their minds. It's just like, I, I guess that, like... That to me is crazy, but maybe that's the thinking process. Like he he had a hit with I Am Legend in September and it's or in December, and it's just like okay, but like this is dumb. This is a dumb idea, you guys. Please don't do this. And it's the weirdest Christmas lineup of movies. It's like <laughs> you can tell that that everyone was terrified of how much money, and rightly so, how yeah. much money The Force Awakens was going to make. Yeah, and it ends up being uh, at least in terms of ranking. Will Smith's worst opening. It opens in seventh. It made slightly more money than Ali, but wait, like, worse than seven pounds. <laughs> Go look up the box office of seven pounds. Seven pounds. I'll, I'll just pull it up. Seven pounds. I think opened in second place. No way. <laughs> I feel like yeah, exactly. We made fun of it in our episode where it's like nothing finer to see with the whole family on Christmas than a man who uh, that was also suicide. Christmas. 
by uh, Christmas season. It was like, I, re- I forget everything Christmas. about our episode about seven pounds, honestly, except for the goddamn <laughs> eels, the electric eels. Um, or jellyfish, sorry. I even forget the jellyfish because I called him electric eels just now. Whatever, whatever sea creature he uses to kill himself in that movie, yeah. it's not how that works. So it doesn't matter what it actually is. Uh, yeah, Seven Pounds opened in second place with $14 million. Holy mackerel. But all, but like that movie seems far, far more forgotten than Concussion. Maybe it's the recency thing. But I don't know because I feel like, I think with Seven Pounds, the thing that's interesting about it Everybody was kind of like hushed tones about because you had to really see it to know mm-hmm. what was insane about that movie. Whereas like concussion, like tell the truth is in all the is in all the ads. So at least like we remember that. We may not you may not have seen the movie, but you remember Tell the Truth. And honestly, good. <laughs> He's agree. very good honestly, in this movie. Good. I think this movie is is ultimately pretty middling in terms of a film, in terms of like a, a a film accomplishment. I think Will Smith is very good. I think the supporting cast is actually really good. I really love Albert Brooks in this movie. Um, but... Albert Brooks, who basically only has to deliver like lines that convey information that are necessary to move the plot along. And he's not really a person, but he's well, no, no, I would push back at that a little because I feel like all of those very, very functional lines get filtered through this kind of Albert Brooks translator where it's like, he's, he's in a scene where he's essentially just telling, uh, Dr. Amalu that he's telling the truth. (laughs) He's telling Dr. Amalu about how, you know, what they have to do, now that the FBI is railroading him. And that's, that's, and I don't know whether this was, I mean, I'm sure it was in the script. I'm sure he didn't improv this, but like, you don't write a line like, my balls are low if you're not writing it for Albert Brooks. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, only Albert Brooks is going to be able to deliver a line like that. And I'm just like, that's, that's why I'm happy he's here for that kind of stuff. And I feel like he peppers a lot of his, his dialogue with just this very, very typically Albert Brooks kind of you know, menchy world weariness, which is just like perfect. Right. Okay. So, uh, maybe talking about the movie makes it, makes me like it a little less, but I came away from this movie really surprised that I actually kind of liked it a lot, even though the active problem for me is that you can see the version of the movie that is so much better. And to me, it is the very um, strident, as you put it, uh, right. scorched earth version of this movie. Um, and like, it feels like it would probably respect Dr. Omalu more to, you know, uh, lean into the, uh, his research and like that and contextualize that and make people actually grapple with that. Um, it does feel like the movie sort of l- rests on the laurels of this sort of continuing theme throughout the movie of like, Dr. Amalu, you're a real American. You're more American than any, you know, anybody else here. And just sort of this like the culture clash of it all that this Nigerian born doctor is sort of taking a hammer to America's best beloved pastime. And mm-hmm. I lo- I like the irony of that, but I feel like the movie really seems to be determined to sort of pat him on the head and be like, you know, you're more American than all of us. And it's just it's like... It's one of the weaker aspects of the movie, I will yeah. say that. And it's... Um, yeah. A-, a smarter movie, I think, would be able to, like, balance that in a way that was smart, whereas this one kind of glosses it over in you know these like kind of sweet 
greeting card. It feels germs, a little condescending you know. when it whenever it sort of emerges. And Those a little and uh, dated. Moments. Yes, also um, that. Yeah. But like that being said, like I was with this movie way more than I was expecting to be, and like it it had you seen problems. it before? I hadn't. You hadn't. Oh, okay. And I had, but like very much like i think i was mainlining end of the year movies that year when i watched it <laughs> you saw it in between some random animated movie that was shortlisted and, and trumbo uh, and trump <laughs> yeah basically. okay you said will smith is really good in this movie we have to talk about the best actor race this year well let's because it's so yes. abysmal but we'll get into that later yeah let's do the 60 second plot description let's, let's get it that. over with we can unpack more of the movie we can talk more about will smith's performance once again guys we are here talking about concussion uh written directed by peter landisman based on uh gene marie laskis's gq article game brain movie stars the legendary Will Smith, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, Albert Brooks and his low-hanging balls, uh, Alec Baldwin, David Morse, Mike O'Malley, Arliss Howard, Eddie Marzen, Adewale Kinyue, um, Agbaja, and Luke Wilson as Roger Goodell. Sorry, you forgot Paul Reiser, who shows up literally for half a second. It was the Very wildest strange. thing. Very strange. I... I I couldn't even put that in there because <laughs> why? You can definitely tell there's some like uh, left on the cutting room floor type. Yeah, there gotta be, gotta be. Yeah, very strange. Yeah. Movie premiered at AFI Fest in 2015. We will get into that, yeah. uh, and then opened wide for everyone in the family on Christmas morning. What did you want to do when you woke up Christmas morning? You wanted to unwrap the truth about concussions. That's what you wanted mm-hmm. to unwrap. Yeah. You wanted to tell the truth. You didn't want to tell the fantasy um, in a galaxy far, far away. Why would you want that? No, why would you want that? Why would you want space You didn't want to go learn the truth about mops. (laughs) Please, please tell me that there was somebody who was really wrestling with Star Wars or concussion or joy. Like, like, I want to talk to that person and like, find out how they made their decision. Well, Star Wars was sold out. <laughs> yeah, that's how it starts. That's the beginning of that discussion, is well, Star Wars mm-hmm. was sold out. Yeah, exactly. And then um, uh, they they wanted to see Joy, but uh, what's the... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get this joke, but um, what's the other Christmas thing? It's like Joy and oh, s- Silver and Gold something. They oh. hadn't seen the original. That was going to be the joke. Right. I failed. So then they saw concussion. There is a Christmassy phrase that's like something in joy. Tidings. Uh, um, they hadn't seen tidings. Yeah, they, they had... hadn't seen David O. Russell's tidings. <laughs> All right. Yes. Anyway. Uh, we made it. We made it to the end of that joke, Chris. We got it. <laughs> we got there. We got um, there. Joe, are you ready to tell the truth in 60 seconds or less and give us the plot description of concussion? I am. We'll see. We'll see right. how much time I uh, take up with this. But yes. Joe Reed, your 60-second plot description for Concussion starts now. All right, Will Smith plays Nigerian-born Dr. Bennett Amalu, who is working as a pathologist in the Allegheny County Coroner's Office, where he is tasked to examine the dead body of Hall of Fame Pittsburgh Steelers football player Mike Webster, who had died after prolonged struggles with mental illness. Omalu becomes fascinated with Webster's case and discovers evidence of severe neurotrauma due to the impact of playing football. Amid the deaths of two other former football players, Justin Strelzik and Andre Waters, Omalu and his colleagues, including Albert Brooks as his boss and Alec Baldwin as the former Steelers team doctor, 
published their findings about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, with Amalu stating that it was playing football that damaged these players' brains and led to their deaths. This, as you can imagine, leads to massive pushback not only locally from football fans, but institutionally from the mega-powerful NFL, which seeks to silence Amalu. He and his wife are harassed, leading to her miscarriage. Albert Brooks faces trumped-up fraud charges from the FBI, and Amalu eventually has to leave for another job in California. It is only several years later when former Chicago Bears player David Duerson kills himself after his own mental degradation and leaves a note saying he thinks Amalu was right, that the tide begins to turn, and Amalu is vindicated, and the NFL is forced to begin to reckon with itself, even though in the postscript, former players like Junior Seau continue to die, and that is the truth. And that's time. I gave you a little more uh, time because I missed your 10 seconds. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. That postscript was rough. That postscript was essentially just like, and it's still happening, which it is. Like, it's... It's a big problem, and it's 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 Which is incredibly why sad. You need a tougher movie. Probably, probably. I don't know. I mean, yes. I think it's. I think it's a tough needle that this film is trying to thread. It's trying to be a movie for as many people as possible to see and to convince, and I think. I think it shows, I think the stuff that it shows with the players is frightening and scary and impactful. I really do. And I think it's something that that's the angle that's going to get you to sort of not turn away from this is, and I think it was good and right that they used all the, the, the players real names that they didn't do. I don't know. I'm sure the film, as every film does, does have composite characters. But with the football players, at least, these were all the real football players' names. And um, The David Moore scenes are upsetting. They're all upsetting. The Justin Strelzik scenes yeah. are upsetting. The The fact that they used, I'm pretty sure that's the, the actual footage of his car crash. On, By the way, a stretch of the New York Thruway that like my parents drive on a lot when they're driving to like visit my aunt and uncle. Um, he, I had learned, which I didn't know beforehand, was from... West Seneca, New York, which is like the suburb right next to uh, where I grew up and like played high school football locally and was like driving to Orchard Park, New York when he was uh, when he uh, drove on the wrong side of the thruway and crashed and killed himself. And so like it's uh, it hits. I mean, whatever, like everybody's every every football fan is going to have some sort of different connection to one of these cases with the unfortunately every no matter who you grew up sort of watching team wise you're going to have some sort of a connection to a player who has suffered from this in one way or another and it's it's impactful and i don't know i get what you're saying where you wanted this to be more strident and more hard-hitting as somebody who grew up a football fan and is a football fan, I think it is impactful. I think it is. I think it works in a lot of ways. I don't think this is a perfect film. I think ultimately it is probably too pedestrian, but I think it hits hard when it needs to. Is my feeling. Yeah. And like, I don't want to be the person that's like, every movie needs to be about toxic masculinity, but like right. the better parts of this that I feel like it's, giving an actual cogent thought and isn't this like glossy issue drama movie that you've seen a million times are the things that point out a lot of the toxic masculinity within 
the football culture where it's like you have someone saying he's going to vaginize football. Yes. Which is um, such a like sports talk radio. Like it's like you can you can hear that on the on the air in a sports talk radio, like anywhere in America right now. Yeah. Yes. I ultimately like, don't think Peter Landisman directs the film as precisely to like really kind of get those things to register but like that's when you for me at least you saw the glimmer of the like best version of this movie yeah or at least the version of the movie that speaks hardest to you which fair or or the one that is the least familiar to this type of uh issue drama slash biopic style movie because that's part of what sunk this movie is how uh, even you know it's a specific issue that there hasn't really we haven't really talked about on screen but like it does feel familiar to a lot of other movies yes it does and and yet by doing by placing the nfl in the role of the same kind of antagonist that you would put like a shadowy PG&E. government. Yes, PG&E is a great example. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I think you are sort of playing on the cinematic memory and sort of literacy of people who watch movies. And they'd like, you can, you know, oh, like the NFL are the villains. The NFL are the sort of big behemoth bearing down on this one individual, which I think is effective. How much that works. I will say for, there's a part in this movie where, uh, they tell, uh, Dr. Amalu that like, you have to name it, you have to name this thing. And I think mm-hmm. beyond the subtext there is if we're going to get people to pay attention to this, we have to package it essentially. And then, so mm-hmm. a few scenes later, Albert Brooks, is talking to Will Smith and he says, uh, the, what is the full name? I said it in my thing and I already chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And Will Smith is just like, yeah, CTE. And Albert Brooks sort of just make sort of, is just like, yeah, catchy, which yeah. But like, I will say that's, it's a testament to, how much this issue has ultimately penetrated the sports world that like CTE is now a common, you know, well understood phrase that like the, for as much as the NFL still has a long way to go in everything, um, the awareness of concussion and CTE and, uh, whatever sort of protocols do exist within the games to, protect against it whether it goes far enough or not um i think it's a testament to the work that this doctor and all these sort of doctors put into it that it hasn't been sort of like it's not too like essentially nerdy a term to have penetrated the discourse like it does you know it did that it did the job so and like I just I think maybe like we're coming at it from very different levels of experience yes, because we like are. you say you think it does well of uh taking the NFL to task, whereas like I use PG and E as like the obvious example, but I feel I sense a real reticence on the movie's part to really put the NFL in that type of like PG and E in Aaron Brockovich position, you know, where like 
they're willing to, the movie is willing to, you know, make them seem like this nefarious giant entity in a oh, way I, that I just, I, I, I don't does. see it in this movie. I think it does. I think you see it in the Arliss Howard scene. I think you see it in all of those sort of weaselly uh, Luke Wilson sound bites. I think you see it when uh, Dave Dewerson, the Adewale uh, Akinue Abaje character, initially sort of you know, runs into Will Smith in the hallway and is essentially just like, you're a farce, you're a quack, go back to Africa, that kind of a thing. And is so, and the fact that this is the guy who then later succumbs to this, these mm-hmm. mental ravages and kills himself and, you know, ultimately says that he's right. Um, but like, you see how pervasive that denialism was that he was so that he sort of like rode so hard hard against Will Smith because he was loyal to the NFL and because he was sort of part of that machine. And I think it's reiterated again and again and again that the NFL is, you know, the big the big bad entity that they that is constantly trying to crush Will Smith. I don't know. I feel like that's Well then me- maybe maybe because like I feel like watching the movie i liked it a lot more and now as we're processing it i'm like really kind of honing in on its shortcomings so maybe i like it less now that we talk about it but it could also just be that it's not well directed enough that it's like those elements are there but like i was gonna say pg and e comes from a far far more compelling film and i think that helps right you know what i mean i think ultimately this movie is directed pretty pedestrianly and if yeah. pedestrianly is everything has this like silver gloss to suggest seriousness yeah and i think it's placing a lot of its expectations on will smith's shoulders and like nothing around him is as good as he is in this movie agreed um and it's not like he's giving the flashiest performance it's like there's a reason right. why the tell the truth oh. clip is yeah. in every uh, trailer or commercial you saw for it on TV because it's the biggest moment in the movie. It's the biggest moment of the performance. Like, I was, because we've turned it into such a punchline on this very episode and, like, in the culture at large, yeah. I was expecting it to be, like, kind of a flub of a scene. And that scene is so good. Will yeah. Smith is incredible in that monologue. Um yeah. It's just, like, one of those things that, like, out of context is so earnest and so, like, punchy that, like, you can't even deal with it out of context. I'd seen the film before, and even still, in my mind, I remembered him delivering that line in, like, a hearing. In some sort of, like, medical hearing or a congressional hearing or something. Some sort of more typically grandstanding. In a hotel restaurant. Right. It's him and Alec Baldwin and Arliss Howard sort of having this, like, hush-hush sort of meeting. And him trying to convince the Arliss Howard character, who is essentially representing the NFL, to do the right thing. And to acknowledge that this is happening and to essentially get get on board to to help us try and fix this. And, but it's like, but that line has such a, you know, you expect it to come in a much more grandstanding package and it doesn't. And I think it is the most sort of compelling piece of acting uh, Smith gives, although much of the movie is him 
playing down his sort of Will Smithness, his Will Smith mm-hmm. charisma, which a lot of the times when movie stars do that to seem more serious is kind of death. But I think he plays, I think he's quite good and quite compelling in his own Dr. Ormalu way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In this movie. Um, but you're right that I the think, film doesn't live up to what he's giving. Yeah. And especially when it's like, it has some of the schmaltzier scenes and he's doing, he's giving this really understated performance that like the schmaltzy stuff, like I feel like hangs him out to dry a little bit, but um, there, there's surprisingly less of that than I was expecting. It's ultimately a much more sober movie. And I think I like yeah. that because of it, even though I, in like the personal stuff i like that it's a more sober movie it's not yeah you're always expecting and dreading that gugu mabatha's character is going to be like you have to stop this because you're in danger you're putting us in danger or whatever and like that never happens and it doesn't come across great in terms of supportive wife roles uh that are so uh constant in movies like this but it's not as bad as a lot of other examples. Right. I Maybe think other movies that we've already made fun of on this episode. Very possibly. <laughs> um, so, Will Smith gets the Golden Globe nomination for this performance. And this was the year... So this was like... It was all happening this year. This was the, the Oscar So White year. This was the big controversy over... The fact that there were no, uh, that there were no nomin- uh, acting nominees of color in the entire Oscar lineup. This was, um, due to that, they, uh, <laughs> brought in Chris. I always feel like we forget that, like, they brought in Chris Rock to host the Oscars this year as a patch on this, which to me is the cringiest thing of all of it, almost. That, that was like one of the stopgap measures that they took mm-hmm. it was just like first things first let's get chris rock up here to like stop the bleeding and it's just like okay and then also jada pinkett sort of boycotts the oscars they were going to have her present i guess was that the was that the the chain of events i forget if she was originally supposed to be presenting but she said that she wasn't gonna go i remember that very clearly and chris rock and- kind of like made fun of her in his monologue mm-hmm. for it. And it's like, but part of it was also that I think because Will was one of the contenders, you know, one of the the black acting nominee nominee contenders who didn't get nominated, that I think that was sort of her position. That was why her position was so, you know, right, prominent, right. I think, at that It makes moment. sense. It does. And also, was that the year of Magic Mike Double XL? 2015? I think so. Yes, I think so. So, like, honestly, and I don't think this was part of her reasoning, but, like, she probably should have been a nominee herself. You know what I mean? That year, if, like, Absolutely. it was never going to happen. It was never in the realm of possibility. But, like, in a perfect world, Jada Pinkett would have been a nominee for Magic Mike Double XL. Absolutely. Yeah. So, 
All this we of the homosexual persuasion were saying that at the time, unfortunately, <laughs> but it's because we sometimes have taste. Sometimes. Um, Broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> so now I want to bring up the Golden Globe field and see who else were the outliers that year. I know now all of a sudden I whenever I hold up so I can um there. All right. Now, all of a sudden, whenever I bring up the Golden Globes as a sort of counterpoint to any of this stuff, I'm just like, do we have to stop doing that now? Have they, like, become no, so No, because at the time, like, you know, it was considered part of, like, it's not something we'll, we'll probably be talking about in future years when we're in our 60s doing this podcast. I hope so. Like, too old. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we'll be recording it live from uh, Palm Springs or something poolside these two old gay men anyway um no but like as far as talking about that's what we do here we talk about previous oscar races and like the globes were a part of that so it's like we have to talk yeah. about the history we've also never been a podcast that has said anything but the globes are a sham and we enjoy them for what they are i was gonna say they're a sham that i that i very much uh, have appreciated through the years and uh whatever it's we've never uh we've we are not uh, new to this concept the golden though. globes and the national football league two very very flawed institutions that i have enjoyed very much over my lifetime <laughs> I welcomed the death of the Globes, but like let's let's also replace them with a, a better organization that can get uh, movie stars drunk and hand out trophies. No. Um, anyway, no, I think I think the talking about past Globes is essential to what we do yeah. here. So all five of the ultimate uh, ultimate Oscar nominees are represented at the Globes. DiCaprio, obviously, this is the big we got to give Leonardo DiCaprio an Oscar or he will die uh, year. <laughs> for the revenant thank god we got him an oscar just in time it, it stabilized yeah. his levels and uh, we were able to to save him. listen we saved liz taylor with an oscar yeah she was dying yeah same yeah. thing happened with leo um obviously the towering performance of brian cranston and trumbo could not be denied that was a nominee um eddie redmayne and the danish girl michael fassbender and steve jobs who should have won and matt damon uh in the martian who won a golden globe uh leading to many many years of scoffing about the martian being a comedy here's the thing the martian is kind of a comedy um and so the nominees all the nominees who didn't make it it's will smith and drama for concussion and then like Everybody else is in comedy. One of whom is Christian Bale for The Big Short, who gets a supporting Oscar nomination. Yes. Because, again, we can't let a year go by without Christian Bale getting a nomination for a movie that, you know... I think The Big Short was better received than certainly Vice. But... Uh, right. And even... I would say even more so than American Hustle. I think American Hustle was far more divisive than The Big Short was. Um, the Big Short wa- should have been received the way... Th- is received they're equally horrible movies i think the big short is a much more entertaining movie than vices i, I hate think. it it's just like both of those movies think that everyone in the audience is so stupid and is such an idiot and i think we've talked about this before on the podcast though and like i don't entirely disagree with you like at least at port at points that movie does take that position I, as somebody who you could explain credit default swaps to me once a day for my entire life, and I would still wake up the next morning being like, what's a credit default swap? I'm the dummy that that, that proves well, the case okay. for that. Well, okay. 
it is. I don't not think just they're wrong the... to think we're dummies because we are kind of dummies. Well, it's that. not. Ju- uh, but like my feelings about that, it's not just uh, a condescension on the level of data and knowledgeability. No, that I, movie is, I agree. It has a condescending tone. I feel like it is incredibly hostile towards the audience in a way that, like, I'm like, fuck you. Um, anyway. Steve Carell is also nominated for a Globe for The Big Short in a performance I don't think is very good. This was sort of Steve Carell's run of him being in things. And I, I again, I always have to feel like I preface this, have to preface this by saying I like Steve Carell as an actor, because I do. But, like, mm-hmm. Foxcatcher, I think he's the weak link in that. I don't like him very much in The Big Short. He's awful in Freeheld. In, like, a movie that is not good. Can't but, like, wait till we talk about Freeheld. Steve Carell is by far the worst part of Freeheld. Um, but anyway, he gets a nomination here uh, in lead actor for The Big Short. Uh, and then the two wildest of wild cards. I feel like Al Pacino and Danny Collins was at least predicted by people who were predicting chaos. That they right. were just like, nobody saw Danny Collins. It probably doesn't exist, but it's a movie called Danny Collins about Danny Collins and Al Pacino plays Danny Collins and he's Al Pacino. So I think a lot of people saw that coming. The one that they didn't see coming was Mark Ruffalo in a film called Infinitely Polar Bear that I still could not tell you the slightest bit of what it's about or why it's called Infinitely Polar Bear. He's a dad to two young girls, and I think he has some type of personality disorder. Or he's just erratic. I never Wait, saw it. It's supposed to be bad. Is he bipolar, and that's why they call it Infinitely Polar Bear? Maybe. Does he like, is that like a cutesy? It doesn't sound like the type of thing you should have a glib pun in the title for. It really doesn't. You shouldn't do that. It really, really, really doesn't. Wow. Yeah, oh yeah, Zoe Saldana's also in it. Interesting. Yeah, so that was one of the the great Golden Globes surprises. That was, uh, I think it was that nomination that like led me down the road to, and also Maggie Smith getting nominated that same year for The Lady in the Van, that led me down the road to predicting Helen Mirren for The Leisure Seeker perhaps that very next year because i was just like this is what they do and i'm going to be ready this time and i was i was there waiting at the door for helen and uh well, infinitely yeah. polar bear and leisure seeker were both sony classics movies yeah and they just knew how to they know how to wheel and deal to the clothes yes yeah, absolutely wait wasn't lady in the van a best comedy nominee Am I crazy? You are crazy. It was not a Best Comedy nominee. It was just for Maggie. Just Maggie. Okay. Best Comedy nominees that year were uh, The Martian. Insert your Snickers here. Um, the Big Short, Joy, again, classic comedy, Spy, and Trainwreck. Remember Trainwreck? Remember Trainwreck as an awards movie because everybody sort of assumed ahead I really of time that it was Amy Schumer's Bridesmaids? I don't I mean, hate I, Trainwreck. I think Trainwreck I like it a lot. can be a could be, could have been a much better movie. I don't hate Amy Schumer either. Is the thing like, um, but it's odd. It's funny to remember that movie as being, you know, a, a massive Golden hit Globe nominee and a massive hit. I mean, yeah, Judd Apatow, man. This is a horrible best actor year, though. Like, oh, we've talked about this horrible. before. Legendarily terrible. Yes. Will Smith is better than everyone except Fassbender that's nominated. I mean, yeah. I, I, yes. 
I think safely, Matt. I think, I think Matt Damon's safely. pretty good in The Martian. I don't think Matt Damon is bad in The Martian. I don't think that's a nomination performance. I mean, like, I think the even just like not to reduce it to a single scene or a single monologue, like uh, awards voters sometimes do. But the tell the truth scene is better than anything Matt Damon does in The Martian. It's probably true. Ironically enough, Ridley Scott produced a uh, concussion and was sort of shepherding. I want to see the version that's directed by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott direct concussion and uh, and uh, what's his nuts direct uh, the Martian Peter's Peter, Peter, Peter Landsman yeah um, I remember really really liking I saw the Martian at TIFF and like the Martian as a film festival movie especially one you see later on in the festival which is what I did is like classic film festival counter programming where it's just like everything is serious and traumatizing and sometimes long and sometimes slow and all of a sudden the Martian comes along and it's like zippy and space and, and adventure and, and Matt Damon got to get back to earth and all this sort of stuff. And I was just like, yeah, this is what I need. After... <laughs> the Martian kind of changed stuff for festival programming though, because like that was supposed to be a huge blockbuster and yeah. they went to the festivals with it. And like that wasn't exactly heard of, of that level of movie. Yeah. Like the thought, was like you don't need to go to a festival you don't need to risk like losing money at a because you go to a festival and it maybe doesn't land like you hope it will but like now shit like joker goes to festivals and <laughs> thank you Lu- lucretia martel for giving it a fucking golden line <laughs> yeah yeah we'll, we'll never we'll never get the end of that now the thing about the martian and i do feel like i owe that movie a rewatch now to just sort of like watch it outside of the circumstances of that year and that festival and whatnot is it's a one person movie essentially that nevertheless casts like a dozen great other actors who then don't Mm -hmm. get enough to do where it's like, it's essentially just like Matt Damon is stranded in space and the movie basically treats that as the important part and everything else is like secondary to it. And yet Everybody else was willing to say yes to show up for Ridley Scott. Jessica Chastain, days. Jeff Daniels, Michael Pena, Kristen Wiig, Kristen Wiig. Sean Bean, Sebastian Stan, Shuatel Ejiofor, Kate Mara, like Donald Glover, I'm pretty sure, is in that movie. Um, Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis, right, exactly. Like the most amazing Benedict Wong is in the cast, like the most absolutely amazing cast to essentially show up in a one-man show it's so weird it's so weird in that respect uh but you know i should watch it again anyway Trombo and the danish girl are both abominable we don't need to talk about them yeah yeah i Correct. do think brian cranston in trumbo is maybe one of the worst acting nominations of my lifetime he's really quite bad in that he really it's, is it's embarrassing i think it's an embarrassment it's very over the okay top. I'm maybe saying something that is going to get me banished from the Earth, Uh-oh. shuttled into Uh-oh. space, Here we go. to freeze in, t- in the atmosphere. We will send you to Mars and not send Jessica Chastain to go rescue you. Please send Jessica Chastain to rescue me from literally anywhere. Um, I'm kind of curious to rewatch The Revenant. And not I for... would be if I don't remember it being such a punishing experience 
to sit through. I mean, I remember it being like totally fine. I didn't hate it the way that everybody else hated it. I don't see any. Oh, I don't mean on a quality line. I just mean like it. the actual like stuff that happens in that movie, and also it's um quite long. But also, it's just like it's just there's a lot of like brutality and and violence and bleakness violence and like grossness, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. just like. I'm not eager to re-experience that, but I think on a qualitative level, I agree with you that maybe I would like it better. I have maybe the gayest entry into, I need to rewatch The Revenant. It's because I just rewatched The Birdcage, and <laughs> Lubezki shoots that movie, yeah. and I'm like, he was doing all of this shit back in the mid-90s. These yeah. like long tracking shots, like the opening shot that goes from the beach into the club. Yep. I'm like, this like stitching of all of these multiple shots to make it look like one shot. I was like, he probably did this better in the birdcage than he did in the revenant, and I'm just curious to see if my theory is right. Boy, pitch that article to somebody, Chris. Is the comparison of Emmanuel Lubezki's cinematography I things and they don't, they in, don't take them um, from birdcage to the revenant? Yeah, <laughs> nobody wants to read that anymore. We've 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 heard enough about it. I don't know. I would read it. All right. What else about Concush do we want to talk about? There's a lot. Uh, it uh, premiered at the AFI Festival, which used to be... AFI used to kind of be, like, the last festival of the season where it's, like, late-arriving movies would show up mm-hmm. where they're, like, they don't even have credits on Selma because right. they finished it so last minute and they premiered it there the same day that American Sniper played. And now it feels like AFI is switching more towards the also-rans of the season. Granted, this AFI closed with The Big Short. The Big Short did well. I'm pretty sure The Big Short was a movie that, like, was just done late. Uh, But they they played this. They played the 33, the Chilean minor movie. Oh, wow. And then the opener was By the Sea, Angelina Jolie's By the Sea. Which we, there was a lot of ultimately justified uh, skepticism about that movie going in. Yes. It, it. I feel like it was on everybody's Oscar predictions with sort of 12 grains of salt there where everybody was just like, well, we have to put it on there because it's. Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, and there's going to be a lot of, you know, heat on it. And if it is good, you know, it will be hard to deny that because awards voters will, you know, be very aware of it. But I don't think there was a whole lot of confidence that it was going to be very good. And ultimately, I think it's a more interesting movie than it is that it gets credit for sometime. I think it's a, it's I a do little fascinating. To see if I like it more. It has a lot of defenders that think that it's really, really great. And I've read um, speak really smartly about the movie that's made me want to reassess it. And, like, if we ever did it on this podcast, I would want, like, someone who loves the movie to come and defend it. Yes, I agree. Um, Because, yeah, I would not be, you know, looking to just sort of, like, dunk all over, you know, Angelina Jolie. But I... Did not think that movie was great. Again, I think it's interesting Same. in parts. I think ultimately it doesn't stick with you as much as you would want it to. But they sure were by the sea. 
Like they did not lie. <laughs> they were definitely by the sea. Um Yeah. So thoughts on Alec Baldwin in this movie. Uh, the accent is uh, it's weird, right? A journey. It's it a journey. Evolves throughout the movie. Yeah, it's it like he ages into his dialect. It's interesting uh, that he does this movie the year after Still Alice, where he does seem to be making a tour through um, different degenerative brain conditions in support of awards contenders. Oh my God. Um, yes. I don't know. I mean, they mentioned early I, I onset like... Alzheimer's a bunch in this movie, and Alec Baldwin being right there. I'm just like, I'd rather be watching Still Alice. Well, I mean, Still Alice is a great movie. It's a great movie. Uh, we are noted defenders of that movie. Um, my feeling about like this supporting cast is like there's never quite enough of them, and like uh, to really kind of register like. Uh, Obviously, Albert Brooks gets to talk about his balls, but like, sure does. Alec Baldwin is the bigger role, right? I feel like maybe it could be more impressive if it's not someone like Alec Baldwin who shows up and does the thing that they do all the time. You know, um, I want better for Gugu Mbatha-Raw. Well, yes, than supportive wives, of because course. like, uh, with excluding Beyond the Lights. What like as we were getting on mic, we were talking about Beauty and the Beast, where <laughs> she plays a feather duster. A feather duster. Listen, and come on, like better for her. So upcoming for Gugu Mbatha Raw. Well, she's going to be on the Loki series. Uh, so money uh, in her pocket. Better for Gugu Mbatha Raw. I don't care. She's not going to be on. Um, well, she's actually she's credited on at least on on IMDb on at least two episodes of the new season of the Morning Show. Even though, listen, spoiler, but you've had your chance to watch the first season of the Morning Show. Her character dies by the end of that first season, so um, that's interesting. I wonder if it'll just be flashbacks or if she'll be a ghost haunting their consciences or whatever. Um, I would love that. I would I mean, watch yes. that show for that. Ghostly Gugu Mbatha-Ra haunting uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, that'd be rad. Um, I can't wait for season two of The Morning Show. Juliana Margulies is also joining this season. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Um, yeah, not a ton on the horizon for Gugu. She's in a movie where she plays a Scottish, Scottish-Jamaican nurse during the Crimean War. Eh? Eh? You in? Opposite, okay. wait for it, Sam Worthington. Oh, no. Are you impressed? Are you excited? Oh, no. Yeah. Remember Sam Worthington? You will, because apparently... <laughs> we're going to be getting him every year We're going to be getting five of them, um, if they ever show up, which I'm still uh, dubious about. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to be excited for Avatar 2. I'm going to be excited for Avatar 2. I will uh, let Don't you do, care I will let you do if that. That makes me not cool. Oh, okay. I first of all, all right. Everybody on film Twitter has decided to be Avatar positive. Like, you are not in the. I am among the, like, dumbasses who, you know. Who are you talking about? All of the, like,. I feel like I'm serious on an film island people. when I'm like, no. whatever, guys, we no. can make fun of this, but we're all going to go to Avatar 2 and enjoy it. 
Our friend Katie Rich is very James Cameron positive. Our friend David Sims is very Avatar positive, as is Griffin. Like the whole like blank check milieu is very Avatar positive. I feel like that's like I guess I'm just not in that milieu, and I'm more in the milieu of uh, withering homosexuals. Yeah, yeah, but they're all dum dums, and I'm with them. <laughs> so <laughs> you you are a proud dum dum. I'm a proud dum dum. Um, yeah. I don't want it. I don't care. I don't want. I don't want more Avatar. Whatever. I'll probably I end up Kate seeing Winslet him. to show up in Avatar two with absolutely no CGI, just in that outfit with those underwater <laughs> wing things. Cannot wait. That's for that. true. It's Kate Winslet. I'm not going to be able to uh, to avoid it. God damn it! What if Kate Winslet shows up in Avatar two as Mare? I was going to say, what if Kate Winslet shows up in Avatar two as Trish? Avatar 2, well, As yes, the water spirit. The, you have said this before, and I lost my mind. Um, Avatar 2 is Mare of Easttown 2. <laughs> Mare Vitar of, uh, of Easttown, yeah. <laughs> Mare of Pandora. That's where, that's what, they go searching for something in Avatar, and they end up in, uh, in Easttown. Boy. It's, uh, well, it's, it, because we know that, the following avatars are going to the oceans, right? So Mare right, they go is through, like, going the abyss to help them solve the problem in the water. We got fuck up. <laughs> Listen, Sigourney Weaver's character would appreciate a Wawa hoagie, is what I will uh, probably say. Yeah, I've never been to That's a Wawa. That's what it is. Never, Avatar goes to the Wawa. I've never been anywhere with a Wawa, and I feel like now I I need to experience that. It really is a concept that I just have no, I have no whatever of. Can we talk about how Concussion is a pretty good Pittsburgh movie? I love. Oh yeah, you I mean, love. We Pittsburgh. know I love the city of Pittsburgh, but uh, uh, I like Pittsburgh movies, and it's a good one. What are your favorite Pittsburgh movies? You love Pittsburgh a lot. Um, a lot of Happiest Season was shot in Pittsburgh. It's right. very noticeably Pittsburgh. Right. Um, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is a good Pittsburgh movie. If, I feel like it's something that's happening more and more. They must have good tax breaks. But, I mean, like, there's obvious reasons that A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is shot in Pittsburgh. But it's just happening, man. It's a cool city. List of films like shot it. in Pittsburgh. Let's see. Oh, wow. They're starting me with the 1890s. I don't care about movies that were shot in Pittsburgh in the 1890s, friends. <laughs> um, need to filter. Let's see. What do we have? There's just a lot of stuff that I have not heard of. Okay. Um, My Bloody Valentine 3D. Oh, Adventureland, which is, I guess, I, I imagine shot on the outskirts of uh, of Pittsburgh. But uh, that's fun. I do love Adventureland. Silence of the Lambs is very noticeably Pittsburgh. Oh, is it really? Even yes. though it's supposed to be Baltimore or whatever? I think they shot that movie just everywhere. I am number four. Uh, apparently, shot not in not what I think of when I think of Pittsburgh movies. <laughs> Perks of being a wallflower is very uh, is, right. Is very Pittsburgh is set in Pittsburgh. Chbosky, I think, still lives in Pittsburgh. Nice, I like that movie. It's a fine movie. It is. Me and Earl and the, not and the dying girl about is Pittsburgh. Uh, apparently, yes, that is very Pittsburgh. Yeah, not a good movie, but very Pittsburgh. same year as uh, Concussion. They were really Jesus. Remember uh, the expectations on me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Yes, um, I do. That summer, that was very instructive. Of uh... okay, but also 
I remember that Sundance where there being like a lot of expectations on me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And then almost immediately there was this like counterbalance of remember it's festival fever. Like there was the skepticism was there from the beginning, even as the expectations were on it. And I think the expectations persisted, but I think once the movie opened, there was not a whole lot of leeway given to that movie to, you know, I think once there was blood in the water with that movie, everybody was just like a failure. And I think there's going to be a movie this year that it happens to again, and it's going to be not the movie's fault, but everyone else's fault. Are you, is this, are we going to have another movie. conversation about how you hate Coda? Are we going to do this again? I don't like the movie, but I also think people are setting that movie up for failure. I don't think that movie has that much expectation on it. It's an Apple TV Plus movie. You know what I mean? I mean, we'll like, see it's... when it comes back around, but like, I don't everybody know. treating it like the second coming was is going to hurt that movie. You are. Knives Out. Knives Out 2. Cast member Chris Me. File for mm-hmm. Coda. Um, I will be playing. I will be the person playing Gwyneth Paltrow this time. <laughs> this time it's me playing Gwyneth Paltrow at long last. Um can we talk about uh, multiple nominations for concussion at the MTV Movie Awards? Yeah, I mean the kids loved it. The kids the were the final vestiges of the MTV Movie Awards beca- before it became what the fuck ever. Uh, the wildest <laughs> right. thing to me about this is that Will Smith is nominated and also loses to Leonardo DiCaprio yes. for The Revenant. <laughs> he really the MTV uh, set yeah. loved The Revenant. Apparently, what the hell? I mean. It at least makes more sense to me that the MTV set would have watched The Revenant than they would have watched Concussion. I mean, The Revenant did make a lot of money. The Revenant did promise, like, a big old bear attack. Like, that sounds at least, like, fun to watch. Yeah. What were the other big winners? God, best action performance went to Chris Pratt. Am I looking at the right year? Maybe I'm not looking at the right year. Is it Jurassic World? In Jurassic World. Is that the right year? Is that Then you're looking at the right year. Yeah. All right. Concussion is also nominated for True Story, which they did a whole story that's just True Story, not outstanding, not best, but uh-huh. True Story. Um, and on top of doing a documentary prize, uh, the winner is Straight Out Compton. Cool, yeah, awesome, sure. Nominated against the wildest set of movies that it's just like this is just where they put Oscar movies. Right? <laughs> they just, that's just what they did. Right. Uh, Concussion, the Big Short. Joy, Steve Jobs, and noted true story famously um, about real life, The Revenant. Wow. Y'all. Guys. I mean, I know that it's based on some dude, right? But, I mean... So, Will Will Smith was also nominated that same year for the most prestigious MTV Movie Award, which is Best Kiss... Uh, he and Margot Robbie were nominated for the film Focus, a film that least less remembered than Concussion. Oh, and somehow, as if that were possible, and yet, like, absolutely nobody, nobody talked about Focus at all, even though it was, like, very widely advertised and, like, opened wide and, like, was, you know, meant to be a big crowd pleaser and nobody saw it. So this is a pretty grim state of affairs for best kiss so margot robbie will smith for focus don't win uh aforementioned train wreck amy schumer bill Hader, 
it was fine. I don't really remember that movie or that particular storyline for it's being a happy ending. It's a fine kiss. Um, Leslie Mann and Chris Hemsworth for Vacation. I've not seen that version of Vacation. I'm going to assume it's a comedy kiss because probably there's probably some sort of shenanigans happening there. It's um, going to be a pass on me ever seeing that movie. Ryan Reynolds and Marina Bakarin for Deadpool. I can't remember whether that was a comedy kiss or whether that was part of Deadpool's like, we're going to be very sexually explicit. Also kind yeah, of for comedy. I have to imagine it's the scene where I turned off the movie because I was like, wow, this movie hates women. Um, Does she peg him peggings. in that movie? Right? Yeah. yeah. And But no, she pegs him and says like, uh, happy National Women's Day or something. Oh, I was like, right. Because they fucked for movie. every like holiday that year or whatever. God, I did right. not care for Deadpool. What a misogynist movie. Um, so the film that should it. have won Best Kiss that year, by all logical measures, is Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan for Fifty Shades of Grey. It was all there. The storyline's right there. The narrative is right there. It's Fifty Shades of Grey. It was a huge hit. It launched, you know, he loved her like careers. It's a very sex, like it's, you know, a very sex forward movie. Everything would be pointing for that to win. But no, we can't even give Dakota Johnson an MTV Movie Award for that. Instead, the winners were Rebel Wilson and Adam Devine for Pitch Perfect 2, another comedy kiss. Death to the comedy kiss winning best kiss at the MTV Movie Awards. I really feel like that's a problem. And we don't talk about it enough. <laughs> Comedy kisses killed that category. I'm yes. just going to say it. They should all be... Did you see last either last week or the week before, once again it was making the rounds, the clip of Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling winning Best Kiss that year. And they recreate the And they recreate the, the thing, and it's genuinely like the hottest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And That's what we want. That's, that's the ideal. That's ultimately what we should all be chasing in life and also in MTV Movie Awards like that. And instead, I don't not I don't want Adam Devine and Rebel Wilson winning for Pitch Perfect 2. Like, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. It's also I mean, like, it's a comedy kiss thing, but it's also this like, I don't even know what word to ascribe to it. But it's like these people who are not considered conventionally attractive. Ha ha. They kiss. Right. Like, right. It's not even that it the kiss itself is funny. So it's like it's just this whole his, toxic thing. His character being go. attracted to her character is played as funny on its face because she's fat Amy. It's like right. so I I much as it, I really loved Pitch Perfect, I thought Pitch Perfect 2 was abominable and I never thought I saw the third one. So minus uh Haley Steinfeld and the Jesse J song. Sure, I will give you that. Um Anyway, Justice for um, uh, Flashlight. Charlize Theron wins Best Female Performance also at the MTV Movie Awards that year, which is exactly right. Like, that is... She wasn't getting nominated by the major award shows. She was good enough to have been in that conversation. Mad Max Fury Road obviously was a big Oscar movie, but, like, that's the kind of movie that MTV should also be super going for, and she's Mm -hmm. absolutely the correct winner. Of, uh, of well, that. and I think she only got a Critics' Choice nomination for right, that movie, which right. makes absolute sense. Um, that like that's the one group that would champion her. Yes, but yeah, that's where that's what we should have an MTV Movie Awards for, and whatever it's now devolved into 
a half television thing and we you know whatever their their cultural relevance is behind us uh, but not at all yes anyway all right what other odds and ends about concussion before we go into the wrap-up um, it is uh, very well placed in the mid-aughts because when Will Smith and Gugu Mbatha-Raw go out on a date and they go dancing, uh, Move Your Body plays. <laughs> Iconic song, Move Your Body. Um, I definitely recognized it, although I had to Shazam it. When you said before we started recording that we were going to need to talk about Move Your Body, I my brain went... Venus guys, Move Your Body. My brain went directly to uh, Tyra Banks's Shake Your Body, which was, of course, her inescapable hit song, Everybody Remembers Move Your Body, which they filmed a music video for in the second season, sorry, second cycle of uh, America's Next Top Model. So in the video for that are people like uh, uh, Ioana, who won that season, and... Uh, Mercedes, who was second place that season. And I'm trying to remember who else. Perhaps Camille, who had a signature walk that season. Is this the season where the girl cheats on her boyfriend? Yes. Shandy. Shandy was almost certainly in that music video. Yes. Yeah. That was the big sort of... That's the reason to watch season two cycle two cycle three is the best one cycle three is the one with eva and yaya and amanda who conceived her child at the exact moment of 9 11 and who had crystals and who was going blind (laughs) and um and carving clean your shit to uh, in the pan of brownies which uh, yaya correctly uh, pointed out was a lack of respeto for the house God, that's uh, yeah, such a good yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, a national institution. An yeah, yeah. Absolute um, treasure. You're out of your mind, though. The best season is the Danielle Jade Joni season. Just because they had dental work as a major storyline for like an entire episode. No, that's an amazing cast. And Jade is one of the finest yeah. reality television characters ever. Jade's out of period. her mind. Yeah, it's true. That's another clip that that resurfaces periodically is Jade filming her CoverGirl commercial where she walks through the party. <laughs> Beautiful, wonderful, fabulous. So great. It's so good. Um, Not a single word escaped her mouth in that entire season that wasn't absolute gold. She really, she belonged on RuPaul's Drag Race before RuPaul's Drag Race existed. Just She's the first one to say this is not America's Next Top Best Friend. Yeah, it's true. And it wasn't. It was not America's Next Top Best Friend. Yeah. Um, how did we get on America's Next Top Model? Shake your body, right? Yeah. So, uh, uh, move your body. Move your body. Yeah. It's a good time. Listen, the way you ride it, girl, makes the fellas go. <laughs> yeah. Um, many, many good memories of being uh, of being out and about and hearing that song. Should we move on to the IMDb game? Yes. Why don't we? Why don't you, sir, uh, tell the truth to our <laughs> listeners about what the IMDb game is? I will. So the truth of the matter is that every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints, because... Uh, uh, I'm going to tell you the truth. That's what the IMDb game is. 
Would you like to give her guess first? Well, I'm going to give first. No, I'm going to guess okay. first. And that way, I my thing is, I for whatever reason, I suspect that we may have chosen the same person, even though I don't really have a ton of evidence for that, other than you saying your choice was surprising that we haven't done this person before. And that's how I would describe my choice. Oh, as and well. you pulled someone that we haven't done and it surprises you. Did you perhaps pull uh, the preeminent truth teller among us all? Oh, no. So we chose different people. Okay. Oh, okay, good. Uh, yes, we, since we've been doing truth-telling, I am, of course, thinking of Meryl Streep doing truth-telling in okay. August Osage County. Okay. Uh, we're doing Meryl Streep. Uh, Joe. Wow. That's your challenge. So Meryl is interesting in that there's not going to be a whole lot of, like, we're not going to have any movies in her IMDb known for that are going to be like, Oh, I wouldn't have even thought about that movie. The problem is she's got about 20 that you would think of for that. So I also think the thing about Meryl, because we know all of the Oscar stats on Meryl is if once it gets to the years, I think it'll be quick to, Oh, well, yes, yes. All right. So, but I'm trying to think of like, Put myself I guess my into the psychology of the IMDb algorithm as to where right, right. where it would come out. I'm gonna my my number one choice, I think, as a convergence of she got an Oscar nomination for this. It is widely popular. It's on television all the time, and we talk about it all the time. Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada, correct. Okay. All right. I think the challenge of this is how many can you get Without, before I give you the years. Yes, I think that's right. I think that is the challenge. Okay, so in that same vein, because it's semi-recent, she got an Oscar nomination for it. I feel like it's in the ether a lot. Julie and Julia. No. Fuck, okay. It spent a lot of time on Netflix recently. Yeah. In like recent years. So that's not a bad guess. So here's where we start to wonder if anything from like the 80s creeps up. Like as something like Sophie's Choice because she won an Oscar for it enough to crack her top four. Same thing with Kramer versus Kramer. Because the other side of that is... Her more recent stuff. Oh, you know what it's going to be? Iron Lady is going to be one of them. No, no? not the Iron Lady. Good. I think okay. that is a wild guess, but no. Uh, so your years, your three years are 1982, 1985, and 2013. Okay, so Sophie's Choice was one of them. Yes, Sophie's Choice is 82. 1985 is out of Africa. And the very lame out of Africa. 2013 is August Osage County, which I was going to guess after I guessed Iron Lady. <laughs> I'm surprised. August Osage County shows up for everyone. Yeah, it's true. I am surprised about Iron Lady because it's her most recent Oscar win, and it would be guaranteed to make us angry. And that, to me, felt obvious, that there was going to be something in there to make us angry. I guess August Osage County. I think County. the one that makes me angry is out of Africa. Except like, that... August Osage County is not good, but like... It's a known entity in this game. Out of Africa, I just like... uh, Maybe it's that I don't like Robert Redford as an actor the way that everybody else does. And I don't think he is hot in the way that everybody thinks he is. I mean, he's very handsome. He's incredibly handsome. I feel like that's that's a bridge too That's like half of the movie. I think Out of Africa for so long was shorthand for so many kinds of things. It was shorthand for... 
Meryl's sort of 1980s persona where it was like a different accent every movie and very sort of prestigious and classy. It's also the kind of shorthand for Oscar bait movies in the 1980s where, again, you know, stately, classy, long, um, not taking place in the United States, uh, having a sort of like vague international, like, uh, what was the... um, Oh fuck the 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 coffees that were uh, that they had TV commercials for that uh do you know what I'm the talking Lauren about the Lauren Pacal coffee No 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 the very the, there were like the, it was international uh uh fuck why can't international I international delight maybe something like that where it was just like it was all sort of like vaguely continental do you know what I mean that that feels very international out- continental delight yeah general foods international coffee do you remember those commercials where it no. was just like it was essentially just I'm like sure I would love them. It was it was this like very bullshitty product that was essentially just sort of like powdered coffee that you'd like add water to or whatever. And but it was advertised as like the height of sophistication, where it was just like, oh, I can from my little like tin of you know coffee powder have a french vanilla cafe or i could have a cappuccino at home and it was like it was all these like and all the names for the flavors were like cafe vienna and whatever and it was just the like fakey fakiest um method of feeling fancy (laughs) and it just like you look back on it and it's just like so dumb and there were commercials for it constantly Anyway. So what you're saying in the 80s is Meryl did not make candle movies. She made coffee. She made coffee movies. She made General Foods International coffee movies. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, until She-Devil came along and she started to break out of that. Um, We don't talk enough about She-Devil being like sort of a a little bit of a game changer. She-Devil's a good movie. But but a game changer for Meryl, kind of. Because it sort of set her on the road to, you know, her more eclectic 90s. -hmm. Anyway, Meryl. Yeah, you were right. Once I got the years, Meryl was going to be pretty academic super easy all right so we went different ways on that i as i often do go down the road of excuse me i'm gonna cough (coughs) by the way coughing in 2021 is like the most fraught activity you could ever possibly do like every single especially if you're an empath because you're like am i gonna freak out the people around me by coughing even a little bit I was at the movies last week. My first movie back was uh, the iconic Tony Collette horse movie, uh, Dream Horse. Um, I went with our pa- your dream horse boy. He'll make you happy. Friend of the podcast and uh, and former guest Rob Shear and I went. And so you're in the movies. You've got, obviously got your mask on, and Rob is sitting next to me, and I can tell Rob is trying to stifle a cough, and watching him experience this and go through this was like at that moment more interesting than the movie because i could sort of i could sense exactly i could read his mind essentially and it is i don't want to cough in this movie theater and have everybody wonder why i'm coughing and you know possibly freak people out and then you know maybe somebody has a bad reaction to it and like you know causes a scene or whatever and so he's just very much trying to like very low-key just like cough into his mask and just like clear his throat and whatever and i've experienced this sensation on the subway and like you know anywhere where you're like indoors and you have a mask on or whatever and it's just like i can't cough because like 
it'll cause a stampede or something. I don't know. I don't know what will happen, but like <laughs> decorum will cease to exist and it's a whole fucking thing. Anyway, I'm done coughing. I guess I can't cut Who that part out me? now. I was initially going to be like, well, I'll cut out me coughing, but apparently not. Okay. So I went down the road of director Peter Landsman for his also all of Peter Landsman's previous films are like in this very kind of, journalism you know uh adjacent thing where he directed wrote and directed parkland the uh the movie about the jfk assassination uh hospital and which has like an insane cast but it's also like tom welling and zach efron and that whole kind of a thing uh he did the um he wrote the film kill the messenger about the uh the um journalist the who was investigating the cia in the i want to say 1990s the one uh, played by jeremy renner in that movie kill the messenger which sort of doesn't exist Mm -hmm. almost entirely doesn't exist and then he also directed and wrote the mark felt movie with uh which is one of the most like horridly conceived movies i've ever seen all i know of it is liam neeson with that uh very very gray hair this was about the uh it's a terrible movie the man who was deep throat uh anyway so in this movie uh, this played a tiff i want to say i'm pretty sure um very very quietly i don't think anyone saw it there no that was one of those we should do like a mini series on movies that played tiff that nobody we know saw it's well, a, we have to start planning whatever or like uh, spitballing what next we year's do. miniseries we will do. be. All right. But anyway, so uh, playing his wife in that film is Ms. Diane Lane, who we've never done an IMDb game on. We haven't done Diane Lane for... Nope. We have not. Wow. Okay. So I'm Diane Lane, son. known for, she has one um, voice-only performance. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... That is, um, oh shit, I don't think I do know what it is. Um, I'm going to guess Under the Tuscan Sun. Correct, Under the Tuscan Sun. Unfaithful. Unfaithful, her only Oscar nomination. Yeah. The DC movies really don't show up for people, so I'm really hesitant to say Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman. So I'm going to couch that for a minute. What was the shitty, like, thriller? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. She's in The Perfect Storm. A Perfect Storm. It's a great, the perfect storm, it's a great guess, but that's uh, not correct. Mm. She's Robin Williams' mom in Jack. She's good <laughs> in Jack. I mean, it could be something from when she was younger, like the outsiders but i have to imagine like we've done all the dudes that are in outsiders before and i don't think outsiders has ever shown up there Hmm. there's one incorrect one that i almost want to throw out there just because we've talked about it in this episode quite a bit um it's not secretariat (laughs) no because uh we are talking about dream horse um wait what was she in that we talked about a bunch in this episode she's trumbo's Besides wife it's mark felt she's trumbo's wife oh Trumbo. jesus yes i blocked that out yes. because i was like i can't deal with diane lane being in this movie she deserves so much better um yep 
okay, what am I just going to fall on the sword of? (sighs) Is it like Must Love Dogs? A rom-com everyone forgot about? Must Love Dogs. Uh, Good guess, actually, but no, it's not Must Love Dogs. She's in a lot of films with dog in the title, by the way. She's in a film called My Dog Skip from 2000. Frankie Muniz cinema. She's in a film that I don't think I've ever heard of called Mad Dog Time. That, uh... No idea. Seems like it's a crime thriller of some sort from 1996. Uh, yeah, a lot of dog titles for her. Okay, so that is two wrong guesses. It was not Must Love Dogs. Um, your years for your remaining films are 1983 and 2015. 83 has to be The Outsiders. It is The Outsiders. So weird. Um, so that leaves 2015 to be the voice performance. Yes. What are animated movies in 2015? She in Inside Out somewhere? She is in Inside Out. She's the mom in Inside Out. Gotcha. Well done. Very cool. good. Interesting. That's a weird. Interesting known for. known for for Diane Lane. I am surprised that none of the uh, Snyder verse movies are on there for her. I'm, I'm surprised not. they don't show up for anyone. Yeah, it's true. But still, I just feel like they're very recent and very, uh, you know, talked about. Perfect Storm probably would have been a good one for her. Her, her IMDb filmography is real interesting as you go through the years. We love Diane Lane. Yeah, she's great. She plays a, uh, a window floozy in uh, Serenity to, uh, to perfection. <laughs> oh, I should have guessed Serenity! Serenity. Uh, she was the original woman in the window. She was the original. <laughs> she sure was. <laughs> Whenever we have to do a class of whatever... What year are we in? Twenty twenty one. In like the next nine months, I don't really think it's really up for debate that the first twenty twenty one movie we'll do is Woman in the Window. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Is that our Cats episode? Is that the one where you have to? Yeah, that's probably the next Cats episode. Though yeah. it's going to be a year and a half before we do it. That's fine. Honestly, fine. <laughs> God, at that point, we'll have been doing this for. Um, we basically have to promise long. that one to Katie, though, right? She is our preeminent uh, Joe Wright scholar. That is true. That is true. Um, uh, we will we'll chat to Katie about that. Um, yeah. Though, uh, may, if that means that, then we have to pull her in for the soloist. <laughs> 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 All right, guys, that's our episode. If you want more of this at Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this at oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Can't believe you said Joe tell and didn't follow it with the truth. I don't know what's happening to you. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. You can find me on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled the exact same way. I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That is F-E-I-L. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. 
Guidance. Guidance. This is me getting um, a Delco accent, trying it. I say things like guidance. Uh, please remember to rate and I can't. I can't do Delco. Uh, please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts, including Spotify. Five star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So tell the truth by giving us a glowing review. It's the truth that it's we do. Uh, but that's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz and more the truth. Woo! Go Bills.